tried to help somebody and it just ended up not being very helpful. I was working at a steakhouse through college and we had a buffet. I noticed that we were out of potatoes and so I went to the manager who was overseeing the buffet and I said, hey, can I help you make those potatoes? She said, she said sure. But I had never done it before, so I needed a little bit of instruction. And here was the instruction I got. There's the bag. Just dump it in the mixer and add water. It's that simple. So I took the bag. I dumped it into the mixer, added water. Then I had to add more water. Then I had to add more water. And as I was mixing, she came by and she said, what are you doing? said, I'm baking potatoes. Here's what happened. I was only supposed to put a little bit of the bag in the mixer. And I ended up making five pounds of potatoes. She was so mad. And it just ended up not being very helpful. And sometimes, the way we respond to those who don't believe in Jesus like we do is not very helpful. It comes from a good place. We desperately want them to know Christ, especially when it's our children, our parents, or our friends. But if we're not careful, what we end up doing is creating more distance between them and Jesus. When our conversations with them look more like wanting to win an argument or being judgmental of their behavior or warning them about what the consequences of their actions are going to be. If you're like me, then Romans chapter 10 verses 1 through 21 is going to help you. I'm so thankful that Pastor Paul has allowed me to preach this message in his absence while he's out doing ministry at another church because I need it as much as you guys do. And so I'm thankful for the way that God has worked this in my heart in preparation. And here's what Paul does in that passage. The Apostle Paul is addressing those Jewish people who are insisting on earning God's righteousness, on earning their salvation by works. And he basically says you can't do that. And if you're concerned about those who are trying to chase after God in the wrong way, then I want to show you a better way. And so he uses this passage to teach us how to help unbelievers come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ that is based on faith in Jesus Christ. Let's pray one more time. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you for your grace. I ask that you would drive these truths, these principles home in our hearts so that we can respond to those who disagree with us. No matter how antagonistic they are or, or how uncaring they are or, or how little interest they even have, to be able to be used by you to help other people come to know Jesus. Lord, I pray that you would help us to commit to that, to understand that this morning. May your Holy Spirit move among us. 
In Jesus' name, amen. So the Apostle Paul in Romans chapter 10 gives us three ways that we can help unbelievers come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ by faith in Christ. Let's look at the first point. First, pray for the salvation of unbelievers. Look what, look what Paul writes in chapter 10, verse 1. Brothers, my heart's desire and prayer to God for them is that they may be saved. Paul was praying for his Jewish kinsmen to come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ. And he prayed for them for two reasons. One is because his overwhelming love for them moved him to want them to know Christ. Two, because he really believed that his prayers for their salvation, God would respond to that and save them. Last week, Paul talked about how God chooses us and how that creates some tension between what God decides and our ability to respond to him. Let me give some clarity through Paul's prayer, through his example. No matter what we decide, we're going to believe about God's sovereignty and his choosing us. The reality is, Paul is modeling an example for us to follow. And so we should follow that example, believing that God would hear our prayers for the lost. And that he would respond by saving them. I remember walking to the front door of my grandfather's house with him to see who was knocking on the door. He opened it, and as soon as that person started talking about Jesus, we all heard the door slam. I remember a few years later after that, as a teenager, we were at the end of his driveway when a couple of his neighbors came up, and they were just having normal conversation, and they started sharing the gospel with him. They started telling him about Jesus. And he just said, Nick... No, he didn't say Nick. He, he said, stop, please. I'm glad that works for you, but that's not for me. I, I can't remember a time where he ever had any concern for religion or wanted anything to do with it. But when I was in college, right after I had gotten engaged, we were getting, Jenny and I were getting ready to get married and move to North Carolina. He called me out of the blue. And he said, Nick, he's coming back. I said, what? He's coming back. I was so confused. We didn't talk about spiritual things in his house ever. I didn't know what he was talking about. I said, Papa, who's coming back? He said, Jesus. I believe Jesus is coming back. He didn't get saved that day. But fast forward about a year, Jenny and I were married, living in North Carolina, and I sensed that God wanted us to go to Clearwater, Florida to share the gospel with him. But we had no money, and we had an unreliable car. We started praying, God, save Papa. And if you're wanting us to go down there, then make a way for us to go. About two weeks later, my best friends who I grew up with sent Jenny and I a check for $500 with a note. It said, we want you to spend Christmas with us. I couldn't believe it. 
I called him. I told him what was going on, how we were praying. I said, we would love to come spend Christmas with you, but could I spend Christmas Eve and Christmas Day with my grandfather? I need to share the gospel with him. They were so excited about that. I remember getting in the car, right before we got in the car, it was me, Jenny, and my little brother. I called him up, and I said, Papa, will you go to a Christmas Eve service with us? He said, Nick, I'm already going to one. Would you guys want to come with me? We met at Calvary Church in Clearwater. We sat in the back section on the front row on Christmas Eve. And at the end of that service, the pastor went through a detailed explanation of how a sinner could be saved. And anyone who wanted to could pray with the pastor and surrender their lives to Christ. And I sat next to my grandfather as he surrendered his life to Christ that night. And it was as if I could hear God saying, Nick, I never needed you to save your grandfather. But in response to your prayers, I brought you down here so you could watch me save him. That moment was the culmination of at least 25 years of prayers from one person Not to mention all the other people who may have been praying for him. He he was in his 70s. God will hear our prayers to save the people that we love. And that's why we should follow the Apostle Paul's example of praying for those who don't know Christ. No matter how long it takes, our prayer for them should be the same as Jesus' prayer in Luke 23, verses 34. He was hanging on the cross, suffering and dying. And those who were there with him were mocking him, spitting on him, challenging him, spitting on him. And what was his response? He cried out to God to pray for their salvation. Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. There are many tools that you can use that will help you pray for your lost friends, neighbors, and family. One of them is on an app called Bless Every Home. You can download that on your phone, and it'll help you track which of your neighbors are being prayed for, who shared the gospel with. It'll allow you to use that as a tool for praying and witnessing to your neighbors. But there's another tool that I want to share with you, one that I love that's called the relationship map. And here's how it works. You start out by drawing a circle in the center of the page. See if that'll work. Okay, it won't. So, start out by making a circle in the center of the page. You've got a card right there. You've got a card right there in your seat that has relationship map on it. Here's what you do. You put your name in the middle of the circle. And then surrounding that circle, you make connectors. And in the circles that are closest to you, You put the names of the people who are close to you that you know don't have a relationship with Christ. 
Now, I'm going to name you some people I know who know Jesus, but I might put my friend Gary, uh, my brother Paul, my um, friend Lucas, my daughter Caleb, or my son Caleb. And then, outside of that circle, you begin to put the names of the people who are connected with them who don't know Christ. So, I know my friend Gary has a wife named Lynn. I know he has some children. I might put their names. And then once you have all the names filled in, you begin using that as your prayer guide for the salvation of your lost friends and family. So those are two, two, two tools that you can use that will help you pray, with your, pray for those who are lost. We should follow Paul's example. By helping people respond to God's free gift of salvation by faith, by praying for the salvation of unbelievers. Two, explain the benefits of a faith-based salvation. Look with me beginning in verse 4. For Christ is the end of the law, for righteousness to everyone who believes. For Moses writes about the righteousness that is based on the law. That the person who does the commandments shall live by them. But the righteousness based on faith says, Do not say in your heart, Who will ascend into heaven? That is to bring Christ down. Or, Who will descend into the abyss? That is to bring Christ up from the dead. But what does it say? The word is near you, in your mouth and in your heart. That is because... That is the word of faith that we proclaimed. Here's what Paul is saying. He's saying that if you insist on earning God's righteousness by being a good person, then you have to perfectly follow all of the rules that are in the first five books of the Old Testament. It's impossible. It would be like you having a conversation with somebody about how to get to heaven, how to live a perfect life, and that y'all come up with this idea. Well, let's just walk up into heaven and get that information ourselves, and then we'll come back and apply it to our lives. Or, let's go down to the place where the dead people are. Let's bring Jesus back to life. And then he will tell us how to live a righteous life. Insisting on earning your salvation, on gaining God's righteousness by your, by your own efforts, it's ridiculous. It's impossible. The Bible says that we can never measure up to God's perfect standard. It just can't be done. And so what he says is, put your faith in the word that is near you. Jesus has already risen from the dead. He has already made a way for you to be right. What does it mean in verse 4 when Paul writes that Jesus brings an end to the law of righteousness for those who believe in Christ? Here's what it means. It means that you don't have to do anything or follow any of God's commands 
in order to have a right relationship and go to heaven because Jesus Christ has perfectly fulfilled the law on your behalf. That's one of the major reasons that he came. He came to live a perfect life in our place so that when we stand before God, he looks at our lives through the filter of Jesus' life, and he doesn't see the sinner who deserves to be punished in hell. He sees someone who's as perfect as his son. That's the benefit of coming to Christ on the basis of faith. The works creates a burden to achieve a goal that we will never be able to accomplish. But coming to Christ in faith requires to do nothing but believe. It lifts the burden of the law because we believe that Jesus did everything necessary to give us a right relationship with God. Insisting on earning your own righteousness it would be like a child who's cooking over the flames of an open grill, refusing to let their parents help. No, I'm going to do it myself. That's always going to end badly. And if we try and earn God's acceptance and forgiveness by our own efforts, it will end badly. Paul echoes this idea in Galatians that if we come to Christ by faith, we gain every benefit that God has to offer. But if we come by works, we don't receive any benefit. In Galatians 2.16, Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we have believed in Christ Jesus. In order to be justified by faith in Christ, and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. And so the idea is, we should just resist that temptation, either as believers or unbelievers, to earn God's acceptance by the way that we live. By the way that we follow His rules, His statutes, and His commands. And we should just trust that Christ is everything we need to give us a right relationship with God. One, pray for the salvation of unbelievers. Two, explain the benefits of a faith-based salvation. Three, don't give up on those who continually reject Jesus. Look with me beginning in verse 14. How then will they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how are they to believe in him in whom they have never heard? And how are they to hear without someone preaching? And how are they to preach unless they are sent? As it is written, how beautiful are the feet of those who preach the good news. But they have not all obeyed the gospel. For Isaiah says, Lord, who has believed what he has heard from us? So faith comes from hearing and hearing through the word of Christ. But I ask... Have they not heard? Indeed they have. For their voice has gone out to all the earth, and their words to the ends of the world. But I ask, did Israel not understand? First Moses says, I will make you jealous of those who are not a nation. With a foolish nation, I will make you angry. 
Then Isaiah is so bold to say, I have been found by those who did not seek me. I have shown myself to those who did not ask me. Paul is giving us some steps with some questions that are necessary in order for a person to trust Christ by faith for their salvation. Ultimately, he is saying that someone must hear and understand the gospel before they can respond by putting their faith in Christ. And if they never hear or understand the gospel, they will be accountable for their sin. God will punish them for their sin because they didn't trust Christ in faith. Now imagine someone in the back of the room while Paul was teaching this says, well, how could God punish those for all eternity, those Jewish people who never heard or understood? His response is in the following verses. He says they did hear. They did understand. Because Moses and the prophets told them that a Messiah was coming for the purpose of taking away their sin. That prophet also told, those prophets also told them that God would extend that message of salvation through Jesus Christ to the non-Jewish world because of the Jews' rejection of the Messiah. They knew He was coming. They knew why He was coming. And they were told they were going to reject Him. But that's not all Paul's saying. He's saying the word is going out. Voices are carrying it to the ends of the world. The idea there is that at this time, by the time he wrote this letter, the apostles and other Christians had spread the message of salvation through the entire Roman world. And that the majority of the Jews had heard the preaching of the gospel from the apostles and Christians. They heard, they understood, and they rejected. And they rejected. And they rejected. Over and over and over again. What is God's response to someone like that? It's a beautiful response. It's in verse 21. Here's what he says. But of Israel, he says, all day long, I have held out my hands to a disobedient and contrary people. You know what he does? He continues to hold out the option of salvation all day, every day. My uncle was always resistant to the idea of salvation through Christ. He never wanted to talk about Christianity, and sometimes he wasn't very nice about it. He was one of the biggest and most unhealthy men I've ever been around. Even within the last years of his life, he was up to uh, over 500 pounds. He went in to surgery just over a year ago and had a heart attack. They called me, and I went up to meet with the doctor, and they said, Myron's on life support, and he's not going to last over the weekend. 
And my heart grew real heavy for him because I knew that if God didn't give him another opportunity, he was moments away from spending an eternity in hell. And so I began praying. I began pleading with God. I said, God, wake him up one more time so that he could hear the gospel. And after a week of praying, my dad called me. He said, I'm up here with Myron. He's awake and he's responsive. But I couldn't get there. I was in the middle of a conference, so I called my little brother. And I said, Paul, I've been praying for the last week that God would wake up Myron so that he could hear the gospel one more time. I said, is there any way you can get to him today? He said, Nick, I've been praying the same thing. I'm going right now. He texted me when he got to the hospital. And I went in my office. And I bowed before God. And for the next hour, I pleaded with him to save my uncle from an eternity in hell. That he would be able to hear the gospel, understand, and to respond in faith. And at the end of that time, at the end of that hour, I was emotionally and spiritually and physically exhausted because of the intensity of that time. And as I got up, the phone rang, and it was my brother. And he said, and I just said, what happened? He said, I walked in, and Dad was there, but I really didn't even say hi. I just went straight up to the bed. And I said, Myron, Nick and I have been praying that you would wake up because we have something to share with you. Can I tell you a story? Not if I can tell you a story. Myron was on life support. And he nodded. And so Paul told him the story of how Zacchaeus trusted Christ for salvation. And I said, what happened after that? He said, well, he really wasn't able to respond a lot, so I didn't know if he was listening or if he heard. So I just told him another story. I told him the story about the adulterous woman that Christ forgave and saved. And I was like, well, what happened after that? He said, nigga, I just kept telling him more stories. I told him about the thief on the cross. And then I told him about the prodigal son. And he said, as I was telling him about the prodigal son, for the first time, he turned his head and his ear towards me. And after telling that story, I said, Myron, do you want to trust Jesus for your salvation like Zacchaeus did? Nod your head if you do. And he said, Myron nodded his head. Paul didn't know what to think at that moment. And so he looked up at my dad. And my dad said, he shook his head, yes. We deliberated later. And we believe that everything that happened in that moment led to us the salvation of a man who his entire life, over and over and over again, rejected Jesus. Why would God do that? 
Because as much as we love those in our lives who don't know Jesus, He loves them more. And no matter how many times we or they reject Him, He continues to offer the hope of salvation. And so should we. 2 Peter 3.9 gives us the answer. The, lo- the, Lord is, the Lord is not slow to fulfill His promises as some count slowness, but is patient towards you, not wishing that any should perish, but that all should reach repentance. I want to show you this one more time. I want to try my best to make this work. Okay. I want to give you a tool for sharing the gospel with people, okay? It's a very simple tool that you can do on a piece of paper, that you can do on a napkin, that you can do at any time in any place. And here's how it works. In the first circle, we recognize that we live in a broken world, full of pain, full of suffering, full of heartache, disease, but that's not originally how God made that world to function. He originally, out of love, made it perfect. There was no disease. There was no thieves. There were no people hurting each other. But something went wrong when we, part of His creation, ran from His perfect design And our running from that perfect design created that broken world. We call that running from His perfect design sin. Many people try and escape that broken world in different ways. Some through uh, drugs and alcohol. Others through power and money and position. Others through relationships. But no matter what we do to break out of that brokenness that nobody wants to be in, It just snaps us back in. And the only way out is for us to trust Jesus for salvation. He came into our world. He became a man. Lived a perfect life on our behalf. Died on the cross to be punished for our sin. And then rose from the dead. And anyone who surrenders their life to Jesus... And makes him king of their life. Seeking his forgiveness. And making a commitment to live his way. Will be given new spiritual life. And will be reintroduced. Back into his original design. That will one day. Result in spending an eternity with him in heaven. So that is one way. That you can share the gospel with those in your circle of influence, those who are on your prayer map, those who are marked on uh, the Bless Every Home app that you use. That's a simple way that you can share the gospel with them to help them understand what it means to have a relationship with Christ that's based on faith. We've put that on your card this morning too. But I want you to look at one more thing on that card. 
If you are a follower of Jesus Christ, He has saved you because you have trusted Him in the work that He did to give you a right relationship with God, then I want to challenge you to take this next step. You have your prayer map for the people that you love, for the people you know. You have a way to share the gospel that's easy to explain to another person. Here's what I want you to do now. I want you to write the name of the person that you'll commit to sharing the gospel with right there on that first line that says, who will you share the gospel with? Just write their name there. It could be the person that you're one from the Who's Your One campaign. Or it could be somebody new that you've put on your relationship map that you're praying for, but put their name there. And then... I want you to put when you will share the gospel with them. Set a time on that line and a day that you're going to reach out to them to share the gospel. And if you're here this morning and you've never trusted Christ for salvation by faith, you don't know what the gospel is, And you don't know how to trust Christ for salvation. Here's what I want you to understand. The gospel is simply good news. It's the story that Jesus left heaven, became a man, lived a perfect life on our behalf so that we wouldn't have to. Because we couldn't. And then he died to pay the punishment for our sin. And when he died, it was on a cross. He had to die to be punished for our sin because God had to punish sin. He had no option. And so instead of punishing us, he punished Jesus. And then Jesus rose from the dead, showing that he had power and victory over sin and death and that he had the authority to forgive us and give us a right relationship with God. So once Jesus lived a perfect life for us, Then, when he died for us and rose from the dead, there was nothing keeping us from being accepted by God. Jesus made a way. The only way to receive that is by faith. And if you're here this morning and you want to surrender your life to Jesus and by faith believe that he's everything you need to make you forgiven and to have a right relationship with God, then I want you to pray with me the same way my grandfather prayed with that pastor uh, about 20 years ago. I will say part of the prayer, and then I'll give you time to say that prayer. And then I'll say the next part of the prayer and give you that next part to say that part of the prayer. And ultimately, this is what's happening. It's verses 9 through 10 in this passage. That's the answer to your question, how do I do that? Starting in verse 9, because if you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For with the heart one believes and is justified, and with the mouth one confesses and is saved. You're going to pray this prayer that confesses an all-consuming belief 
that Jesus is God, he died on the cross and rose from the dead. So if you want to do that now, then I want to invite you to pray with me. Everyone bow their heads and close their eyes. If you want to trust Christ for salvation, pray this prayer. Heavenly Father, I know that you love me. I also know that I'm a sinner and you can't accept me the way that I am. And because of my sin, I deserve to be punished in hell. But God, I know that Jesus is good enough for me. I'm trusting that he lived a perfect life for me. That he died on the cross to be punished for me. And that he rose from the dead. God, I believe that what he did is good enough to make me forgiven and acceptable to you. So God, save me. Give me new life in Christ based on what Jesus did. God, with all my heart, I commit myself to living Jesus' way instead of my way. I'm going to ask you to keep your eyes closed. If you prayed that prayer to trust Christ for salvation this morning, will you raise your hand so that I could see you? Man, praise the Lord. That is awesome. God, I thank you. God, I thank you for saving me, for saving those who just raised their hands. God, I pray that they would experience the full measure of your grace and that you would give them an excitement about living for Christ and helping others do it too. And God, I pray for those who are here who've had a relationship with you. I ask that you would stir their hearts with a heavy burden of love for their neighbors, for their children, for their parents, for their friends, for whoever is in their life who doesn't know Jesus. If they're discouraged with sharing because it keeps being rejected, God, give them the grace that they need to keep sharing. Give them the hope that they need to keep believing that you are a God who can save anyone at any time and that you respond to our prayers and that when the gospel goes out, it always goes out with power. Make us a church of people who are sharing the message of salvation through Jesus Christ that is given by grace and received by faith. We ask this in Jesus' name. Amen.